church. Well, I've been so excited about preaching this message on Nehemiah chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and open them up with me. We have a lengthy text, and I want to read it, and then I'll make some comments on it in this message on a portrait of a good leader. Nehemiah chapter 5, if you've ever been to uh, Mount Rushmore, as we did a few years ago, and you saw those presidential profiles, and I imagine many of you could guess who those men are. You look there, there's Abraham Lincoln, there's George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson, and my favorite president, which would be Theodore Roosevelt. And you think, well, what does it take uh, for Goodson Borgum to etch my face upon a piece of granite up in the northern part of the United States? Well, in order for him to do that, and by the way, that's, that's his name, and I read his biography a number of years ago. Goodson Borgum was an amazing uh, architect and a sculptor. He said, well, what would it take for me to put my face up on there? Here's what it would take. You would have to be one phenomenal, amazing I will run out of superlatives here in a minute. Excellent, praiseworthy leader. You'd have to be a great leader. If there was a Mount Rushmore of leaders in the Bible, who do you think would make it? Who do you think they would put there? Well, first of all, obviously, the greatest leader to ever lead, that would be Jesus Christ. So, of course, front and center, we would see him. But I would also like to put a lady up there. Some of you ladies ought to say, amen. Woohoo! that's about, about time, brother. So I would put Esther up there, the queen. She would make, a, she'd make a, a tremendous profile. And then I would put somebody like Paul and then Peter. But then there would be somebody else that I would just have his face etched right up there. And that would be our man that we're studying here today. And that's the name uh, Nehemiah. The whole book is named after him, this governor, the governor of Jerusalem from 444 B.C. till about 432 B.C. He leads... Jerusalem. He has been appointed by none other than King Artaxerxes, the king of the Medes and the Persians. And Nehemiah worked for this guy. He was dutifully employed as a cupbearer, which is a pretty prestigious, honorable job. And I imagine it was a very good-paying job. And yet he said, sir, I want to resign my position, and I want to go and help my people. And as we've been studying this over the last few weeks, we've noticed that that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He took about a five-month journey and he went over to Jerusalem, and he was there, and he was ministering to his people. He, we, we saw that he was a great man of prayer. He was a man of preparation. He was a great man of, of uh, motivation. And he was also a man who dealt with opposition. Hey, hey, listen to this. If you want to be a great man or woman of God, then I would just say strap on your, <laughs> strap on your trousers, put on your boots, put on your hard hat, because what you're doing is you're asking for difficulty because nothing great, nothing of significance, especially of the kingdom of God is ever accomplished without great toil and hardship and sacrifice. If you want to have your face etched on those, one of those presidential profiles or one of those biblical figure profiles, then look at their life, study their life, and every single one of them had to deal with opposition. Now, Nehemiah's opposition looked a little bit like this. First of all, he had people like Sanballat, uh, Geshem, and, uh, oh, I forgot the other guy's name. Hold on. Tobiah. There they are. There's, th there's three guys in particular. And they were, they were not Jews. They were like from Ammon. They were Samaritans. And they were people from the surrounding area of Jerusalem. And they came against Nehemiah. And they opposed him vehemently. And I think there's a degree, a modicum of jealousy on their part because they want Jerusalem as a prize for themselves. And yet, God has given 
Jerusalem to the Jews, to his people. And so Nehemiah goes, and he has to deal with those people. And by the way, if you want to be a great leader, you're going to have to deal with some people just born in the negative mood. They're just that way. You know, I forget the name of the journey. Uh, Some are born to sing the blues. Y'all remember that song? Yeah, I know, that's rough. But let me, let me see if I can pull it out. Man, the journey's good. But anyway, some are born to just sing the blues. you got to deal with those people. But here's, here's the harder thing about Nehemiah's issue. He had to deal not only with opposition and persecution and difficulty from without, he had to deal with the opposition and the difficulty from within. Because here it is, there's a group of people, they are Jewish leaders, and they are beginning to turn on their own people. And and Nehemiah is watching this as the Jews are persecuting the Jews. And I'm going to show you this in a moment when we read the text. You're going to see, I mean, it's just like this passage of Scripture would have been written today in today's newspaper. You're going to have high interest rates. You're going to have exploitation. You're going to have high taxes. You're going to have all these things happening within the Jewish community. And Nehemiah is going, come on, people, chill out you got to get along with one another because as long as you're fighting one another and fussing one another, we'll never be able to build this wall of protection around the perimeter of our great city. And so watch this. He's got opposition from without, which he probably expected, but I don't think he expected all the turmoil and the opposition from within. So let me read the text to you and then we will walk through some characteristics of a good leader. And man, if you're here today, and I I just believe this message is really going to bless somebody. And I don't know who you are. You may be one of the hundreds of people that are not here, but are watching us through our live uh, media, live stream, or you may watch us on KBVO next Sunday or whenever we'll air this message, or you may be here today. And and it could very well be that God is, is, is working on you and he's creating you to be a phenomenal leader, a leader of your family, maybe a leader in your church, a leader in your community, a leader in your sports team, a leader in your business or in your company, and you're going to take these salient characteristics of Nehemiah. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to help you just extrapolate all those truths out of God's Word and say, Spirit of the living God, I want you, God, to apply those biblical truths and principles to my heart so that there is a divine metamorphosis that happens. There's a transformation in me, oh God, so that when I leave this campus, I'm a changed man, I'm a changed woman, and I'm better equipped to deal with the challenges that are coming my way. So that's what I want to give you, all right? If you were a little more excited about it, I would be happy, but that's okay. I'm, I, hey, I'm just, I'm just glad you're here, all right? I'm just glad that you are here. Praise the Lord. Now, there was a great outcry of the people, now watch this, and their wives. Hey, can I just let y'all in on a little something? When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I just think that's very significant, that the people and the mamas and the wives And the Hebrew word there for outcry, it means to scream. It means to yell at the top of your voice. It got Nehemiah's attention. It got everybody's attention. You say, well, why are the people so upset? Here it is. They had this outcry against their Jewish brethren. Why? Well, there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. But there were also some who said, not only are we hungry, 
But we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses that we might buy grain. Watch this little phrase here. Because there was a severe famine. There were also those who said, I tell you, the first five verses are just very negative, okay? But guess what? Life sometimes is very negative. But why don't you be one of those preachers? When I come to church, I don't want to hear negative. Well, I'm one of those preachers that's going to speak reality to you. Because when you walk out those doors, not everything is cherry blossom and rosy and wonderful. And I mean, life is hard, right? So let's just be realistic. Here's what happened. There were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and our vineyards. And yet now our flesh, our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren and our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Do you see that? You got famine. You got hunger. You got no money. You got mortgaging your land. And now you've got, um, you've got this high taxation. And we can't pay it, so we're having to give our daughters now. Some of them have already been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. And verse 6 is interesting. And Nehemiah, it says, and I became very angry. Now, Nehemiah is the leader. Why is he so angry? Well, number one, there's exploitation. There's injustice. The Jews are, are charging this usury, this high interest rate. The people can't afford it, so they're having to mortgage off their lands and their property and their houses. And now they're having to give their very children in order to pay taxes and to eat. And all the while, nobody is building the wall. Are you with me? The wall is not being built because we're dealing with issues and turmoil from within. Man, could we not preach on that for about a year? How, how can we do the greater work if we're so consumed with the small things and the bickering and the infighting and the fussing, whether that's a company, whether that's a sports team, whether that's a church, or whether that's a family? And Nehemiah says, I just got mad. I just want you all to know something. I was very angry. When I heard their outcry and these words, and so this is what I did. I found me the biggest brick on the wall, and I picked it up, and I smashed the face of every single one of those who was charging usury. You say, well, that's not in the Bible. That's the way you and I would have done it. We would have said, okay, you people are just wearing me out. Here, take this. But notice what he did. After serious thought. Wow. Remember, his, his profile... It's on the biblical Mount Rushmore for a reason. He was angry, but he didn't retaliate. He contemplated. And after serious thought, I rebuked those nobles and rulers, and I said to them, each of you is exacting this high taxation from his brother, this high interest rate, excuse me, this high usury from your brethren. And so I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Nehemiah said, I've been redeeming them, and you have been enslaving them. Now, indeed, will you even sell your own brothers? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced, and they found nothing to say. And then Nehemiah says, well, I want to say something else. What you are doing is not good. Now, watch this. I think this is the only time in this pericope, in this narrative, that God's name is mentioned. And it's mentioned because Nehemiah is very concerned about the fame and the name of God and God not being dishonored. And by the way, when we fuss and fight among ourselves, God's being dishonored among the pagans, 
among those who are without. And Nehemiah says, I'm concerned about this, so what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, we're lending money. We're lending grain. In other words, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm not causing any uh, high interest or usury. So stop. People, stop doing this. Restore now to them, even this very day. Give them back their land and their vineyards and their olive groves and their houses and also a hundredth of the money and the grain. The new wine, the oil, all of this that you have charged them, restore it. So they said, how dare you, Nehemiah, try to tell us what to do, you reprobate. We ought to just wear you out. Notice what they did. They said, we're going to do it. We're going to obey. We're going to obey the authority and the leadership over us. That would be you, Nehemiah. We don't like you a lot. Sometimes you get on our nerves, but God has put you here, and we're going to, we're going to do what you told us to do. We're going to restore it, and, and we'll require nothing from them in return. We're going to do exactly as you say. And I love what Nehemiah does next. <laughs> Talk is cheap. <laughs> so he called the preachers. He called all the priests together and said, all right, listen to them. They're making all these promises, and I want y'all to make all these promises in front of God's men, in front of the priest. Man, that was bold. That was wise. Because they may disobey Nehemiah, but they don't want to disobey God. So I called the priest, and I required an oath from them that they would do according to his promise. And then he said, I'm not finished. He's such an awesome leader. I shook out the fold of my garment, and I said... So may God shake out each man from his house and his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the people said, good night. Amen. I always wonder, where did I get that? And all God's people said, amen. That's where I got it. And they praised Nehemiah. You with me? Come on, folks, read, read, what does it say? And they praised Yahweh. See, that's a big problem. When you start praising the wrong object, that's not good. Ooh, I'm supposed to wait, but I can't wait. Oh, here it is, here it is. They appreciated Nehemiah, but they adored Jehovah. And that's a good difference. And then the people did according to the promise. So what I want to do this morning is I want to share, share with you four characteristics of a good leader, okay? The first thing a good leader does is he... <laughs> Help me, Esther. I'm coming. All right. Spirit of the living God. It's okay. I don't, I don't know. You can, you, you... It's okay. Amen. You got it, girl. You got it. I'm sorry. It's such bad preaching. It just makes you cry, man. It just makes you cry. God bless you, sweetie. Come back when you feel better. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Whew. All right. Understand the, the challenges. And there are four or five of them. I already read them to you, but let me just summarize them like this. First of all, there was... Um, there was interest rates. Can, can you imagine going to a bank and saying, you know, I just need to borrow money for the loan on my house or the loan for my automobile, and the banker just gives you this devilish grin and says, that's fantastic. 
and we'll be glad to loan you this money for 65% interest on the dollar. And you say, well, what about the 3 and 4%? You know, everybody else is getting, nope, this is, this is our only deal. We're giving you a 65% interest. And, and this is what was happening. The, the Jewish people, the leaders, the wealthy, the affluent, had the money. And even though some of their kinfolk were on the wall building the wall, I, I don't see anything where they're actually helping them. So when they're coming off the wall and they've got to get grain, listen, they can't tend to their fields. Why? Because they're working on the wall. So they need help. They need somebody to loan them some money. And, and the people said, yeah, we'll loan you the money, but we're going to charge you these high interest rates. Then add on top of that, King Artaxerxes says, I'm going to give you a high taxation. And that was very common for the king of the Medes and the Persians, just like the king of the Babylonians did. They charged this high taxing for those inhabitants because remember now, the Medes and the Persians, they own the known world. And Jerusalem is subservient to Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes says, you owe me all this tax. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to borrow the money, but in order to borrow the money, we have to mortgage our, our homes and our vineyards and our property. And my word, we got to even sell our very flesh and blood to those who would take that as collateral just so that uh, we, can, we can eat, okay? So that, that, that's just basically what's going on. These are the challenges that they are facing. One, one writer puts it this way, and I, and I like the way he, he summarized it. He said, all of these difficulties created a crisis in Judah. And that meant double trouble for Nehemiah. Not only were their enemies a constant threat to their security and their well-being, but now many of the Jews, they were actually taking advantage of other Jews. Morale, which was already low because of external pressures, physical exhaustion, and fear, now, now it took another plunge because of these internal problems. So you got high cost, taxation, high interest rates, exploitation. Verse 5, the New Living Translation. If you look at verse 5 one more time, I want to read it this way. The New Living Translation puts it this way. We belong to the same family as them. This is our, this is our family. And, 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 and our children are just like their children. Yet we have to sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters... And we are helpless to do anything about it because our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Would you not agree? This is a problem. And a good leader has to understand the dynamics and the perplexities of the problem. Let me, tell you, let me, let me share something with you, friend. If you're a leader and you bury your head in the sand just hoping that it's going to go away, you're going to be replaced pretty quickly. You're going to have to have your ears open. You're going to have to have your eyes penetrating. And you're going to have to be listening. And all of these things are taking place. And Nehemiah, the leader, he understands it. Okay, But number two, notice what he does. He thinks before he responds. Did you all see that in verse 6? I tell you, the Bible is just awesome. Why in the world would anybody not want to preach the Bible in church? I just can't understand it. The Bible is amazing. It's just like, it's like it was written today. And I became very angry, he said. I heard their outcry. And by the way, you can't hear something unless you want to hear it, unless you're listening for it. But after I gave serious thought, I love that phrase. Would you just, would you just gnaw on that for just ruminate on that, cogitate on it, chew on that for a minute? After serious 
thought. So he's thinking before he is acting. And I think part of his thinking process is listening, praying, contemplating, and then he will act. I'm about to share something with some of you that's going to, it might even save your life. It probably is going to save some of your jobs. And it'll probably help you in so many ways. And later on, years from now, you just come back to me and say, hey, I appreciate that because that really did help me. Before you push send, stop and pray. Okay? Bless Trump's heart. <laughs> you know, he's my president. I, I, I'm praying for him. I think he thinks and he sends. And then, I, and then these people are going, oh, my word, please. I actually called Rob Hatley. I don't know if y'all remember Rob Hatley. I said, would you please go work in the White House and help him not to send all those tweets? Let him think, think, think. Hey, listen, that's just not good for a president. That's good for you. Process it. Think Before you post the picture on Instagram, say to myself, self, should I do that? Before you post the Twitter, before you put on Facebook, and by the way, and I read, I read a lot of your Facebooks, and I'm like, oh, mercy. Oh. Well, my church, I just don't understand my church. I know that church. That's my church. I'm like, stop. Well, if we just could have done it this way or had it like we used to, I'm like, please. Other people are reading that. Just pray. Pray, pray, Lord, should I push sin? And I just pray, God says, no, no, don't sin. Because people read our stuff. People watch our lives. You say, I'm not a leader, I'm not a CEO, I'm not a president, I'm not a coach, I'm not a pastor, I'm just me. But you are, you are important. And what you say reflects your family reflects me as your pastor. It reflects your church. So all I can just say is do what Nehemiah did, and after serious thought, then do what you're supposed to do. Number three, confront it head on. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't bury it in the sand. Don't just say, well, I'll pray, and it'll just pass over. It's not going to pass over, all right? It's going to have to be dealt with. And, and, and it's interesting in this text and in this context. Did you know that the law, that Nehemiah knew the law, and the law said explicitly, and if we had time, and believe me, I am rushing through this sermon. I, I need about an hour and a half to really preach what I think, I, all that I want to say. So I am redacting, I am editing, I am slicing and dicing to get us out by 1.30. But anyhow, we're going to we'll get out soon, soon enough. Leviticus 25, I don't have time to read it, but if you go home and read verses 35 through 40, you will see explicitly it says, A Jew shall not charge usury or interest to another Jew. And you certainly cannot take another Jew as your slave. If you do take them in, do not call them a slave. Call them a brother who is my employee and treat him just like you would want to be treated. It's very clear. That the Jewish leadership, they are violating the basic axioms and principles of being a part of God's people. And that is, there has to be economic fairness. There has to be 
There has to be a treating of people the way they want to be treated. Do not charge this high taxation, I mean, not taxation, this high usury or interest, and do not enslave your own people. And so Nehemiah, he confronted them, he called people as witnesses against them, and then he gave them a plan of action. I don't think I mentioned him a moment ago, but I I love studying the life of, of really one of the great, great leaders who have ever led and if I just said, who's the greatest leader who ever led, especially in the nation of England, what, what would you say? It would be Churchill, obviously. And Winston Churchill, on November the 11th of 1942, was addressing the House of Commons. And he said these words. It's kind of comical, but it's just Churchillian. He said, I am certainly not one of those who need to be prodded. In fact, I am the pride. I, I like that. I thought that was interesting. I'm the pride. And then in another context, he said, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak, but courage is also what it takes to sit down and be quiet and listen. That's what he said. And then the third quote I want to share with you. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So Nehemiah, he's going to confront them. He's going to say to them in verse 9, please, people, Would you just take a moment as you are abusing one another and exploiting each other and enslaving one another, just think what kind of witness that presents to the pagan nations. Will that not defame and dishonor the name of God? And and I cannot help but think, you know, if you call yourself a Christian and you're running a Christian business and you exploit your people and you abuse your people and yet you come to church and you just worship God like John D. Rockefeller, my word, That guy was ruthless. Read his biography, The Titan. The the billionaire. He was a gazillionaire. The turn of the century was standard oil. And the good Baptist that he was, he would be ruthless and exploit his people and come to church and sing, How great thou art. And just worship God like nothing ever happened. Don't do that. Let your behavior be consistent and commensurate with your lofty Christian profession. Okay? So, he said, you can't do that. You can't call yourself a people of God and then abuse the very people of God. And I like what Chuck Swindoll says at this point, and he wants to put it in the context of a church. Hmm, so why not? Let me read it. Do you know who applauds the loudest when churches split? It's those who don't know God. It's those who don't know Christ. They say, ah, I knew it would happen. I knew it would happen. I knew if those so-called Christians had enough time, they had cut their own throats. End of quote. Verse 8 and 10, he appeals to his own example as a praiseworthy example. He goes, listen, I'm, I'm not charging these high interest rates. I'm not enslaving people. I'm loaning them at no interest. I'm delivering some of our Jewish people out of the hands of the, of the foreigners. And yet you are enslaving your own flesh and blood. And in verse 11, he, he told the wealthy and the greedy, he said, you got to restore back to the people to the hundredth. Did y'all see that? Did anybody scratch their theological noggins and say, what does that mean? Oh, I'm so glad you did. That's good. That's really, really good. If you didn't, you should. Unless you're just 
off the chain, brilliant, and you just know Hebrew and everything. You just say, to the hundredth. I know exactly what that is. I didn't. And I said, well, what does that mean, Lord, to the hundredth? Some of y'all are looking at me like, what's your problem? I mean, he's, why are we talking about one little detail in the Hebrew? What, what's going on? Because it's God's word. Amen, James? It's God's word. And if God included it, then the man of God ought to study it and be able to present to the people of God what the word means. So the hundredth means, I think it means. They were charging a percent a month. So annually, they were charging 12% of interest when they should not be charging any interest. Another commentator said, no, it may not be that. It just may be a, a generality of way. And to the hundredth, maybe just this Hebrew idiom of saying, interest in general. Don't do it. And Nehemiah's confronting them to the letter. And I'm like, how did he know all of this? He knew it because he was a good leader. He did his homework. He paid attention to the details. The devil was definitely in these details. And Nehemiah had read the fine print, and he's dealing with it, and he's confronting them head on. And I just love this. And I appreciate him doing this. And we, we looked at this a moment ago, but I, I just got to mention it again. He... Initially, the people said, okay, we will do it. We'll give the money back. We'll quit charging this high interest rates. In fact, we will restore the people's lands. We'll give their daughters back. We, you sold us to us in slavery. We will do all of this. Just Nehemiah, go on back to the wall. Leave us alone. I mean, who put you in charge anyhow? And he could have said, well, God did. God led me here. And he's saying, please do this for God's name and for his honor and for the benefit and the welfare of our people, please do that. And they said, we will. And I wonder if Nehemiah was like, liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't believe you. I don't believe a word of it. So let's do this. Let's just get serious for a moment. Preachers, come over here for just a minute. And the Levites are going, are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Preachers, pastors, come over here just a minute. How are you doing, Levite brother? I'm doing fine, Nehemiah. Okay, why don't you stand right there. Okay, I want you to say what you just said. Say it in front of him. You, are you with me? This businessman over here going, well, you know, charging all this interest rate. All right, I'll, I'll quit. Wink, wink. You know, I'll, I'll stop. And Nehemiah said, okay, tell, tell the man of God. Tell the man of God before God. I pray God strike you dead on your head. You tell him. You tell him that I am going to quit charging interest. I'm going to set my people free. And I'm going to do the right thing in the name of God. You tell him. Tell the preacher. Tell the priest. Woo, you don't think that put the fear of God in you? And Nehemiah's like, thank you for saying that. And by the way, I'm not done. He takes out his robe. And now in a robe and pockets, you know, they put whatever they put in there. Maybe a little, little snack, amen? Put a little snack in your robe. You know, put a little something in there to chew on while you're working on the wall. And Nehemiah takes his robe and he just, just puts it like that, you know. He goes, are y'all watching? I pray that God would shake you out just like I'm shaking my robe and there'd be nothing left. If you keep charging our people this way and you keep damaging our name in the name of God, I'm praying that shake it, shake it, shake it, baby, shake it, shake it, shake it. God shake you out and you don't have anything. Tell him. Tell the preacher. Preacher, I'm shaking out my garment. I won't have anything if I exploit my people. So that's, that's just good leadership. I mean, Nehemiah is going to the degree that he needs to do it. Because here's what's going on. 
the people, the people are not only abusing one another, they're not building the wall. You with me? They're not building the wall. And when you're not building the wall, Nehemiah's like, I'm not going to tolerate this. We've got to build this wall of protection. And not just a wall of protection, it's a wall of statement that Jerusalem is back. God is here. And as long as we're fussing with one another, and as long as we're abusing one another, then the pagans are laughing at us, and we're hurting our, hurting our witness, and we're not building the wall, so stop. Come on, people. Stop. Man, praise God for leaders. like I wish I was a leader like that. I wish I had that kind of moxie and that kind of guts to just say, stop. Let's, let's get back to the basics, man. Let's quit fussing and squabbling with one another, and let's get on the wall. You ready? Let's get on the wall. Well, what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. The final thing. Watch God do what only God can do. Do you see it in verse 13? There are three things that happen real quickly. They all said amen. And I think that's just, that's just fascinating to me. And the people said Amen in Hebrew is the same as amen in Greek or in any other language. Amen is amen. And it means so be it. I am in agreement. I affirm. You know, there are some leaders, they could care less about verbal affirmation. And then there are some leaders who just thrive on it. They, they have to have it. And, and I guess I'm kind of that leader. I, I don't know. I do know. I, I'm... I'm messed up in a lot of ways, but I, I, I know, I just, I just know every now and then, hey, you're doing all right. God bless you. Pre- appreciate it. Yeah, that just means, I'll ask my sweet wife. She'll, she'll tell you. If you just tell him that, he's like a little puppy. He's just happy, 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 happy. He's just happy. You just say it. But equally, when you send those, sin, you horrible, pitiful person. I just want to, I just, I just like, man. And you say, well, you just need to be stronger. Yeah, right. And you, I, I agree. I just need to be stronger. And for some people, it, it may not affect the, the next guy or the last guy like it affects me, but, but it just, it, it, it just hurts. So, amens are all right. Well, what if I don't like you? Or what if I don't like something you're doing? Then tell me. I had a good meeting with Pastor Chester this week. He said, I tell there's people complaining, Brother Danny. I'm like, imagine that. <laughs> he says, you know what I tell them? I tell them, go talk to you. Or go talk to whoever it is that's making the decision. I said, well, God bless you. That's the right answer. And that's what I try to do. If people are fussing and they're mad at somebody, I say, go talk to them. And work it out among them. So anyhow, they said, amen. The second thing they did is they praised the Lord. Oh, I love this. I don't see much praise and worship of God in verses 1 through 12, right? And they, they, they're messed up. they got their priorities all truncated. They've got things going on. They've got, man, they've got slavery. They've got, they got high interest rates. And, and they've got the cost of living is off the chain. And they've got high taxes from the king himself. And, man, they're just all in a wad, in a hissy. And they've got to get it fixed. And Nehemiah says, let me help you fix it. And they, and they fix it and they said, well, amen, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's a good thing because that's what Nehemiah wants. He wants the people praising God and working on the wall. And the third thing that happened is this. The people did what they promised 
And they released their brothers and their sisters from slavery. Stay with me. It gets better. In Alabama, we say it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. So watch this. They released the people from slavery. They quit charging high interest rates. Watch this. And they returned what they had taken through the high interest rates. So it was exactly what Nehemiah had hoped would happen. So as, as, I, as I wrap this up, let, let, me, let me ask you a couple questions. Man, I, wish I, I wish I hadn't hit that pulpit so hard. I mean, what is I thinking? I'm looking at my wife. My church in Virginia, I hit the pulpit so hard. People actually, well, first of all, they bought me a rug. They put a rug under my feet because I kept stomping my feet. And next, they bought me a glove. I feel like Michael Jackson or whatever they got me. They said, if you, they gave it to me. So keep hitting the pulpit, but maybe this will help. I think I'll just quit hitting the pulpit. So, so you don't have to get me a glove. If you're, a, if you're a man and you're married, you're the priest in your home. You're the leader in your home. You said, no, pastor, she wears the pants. I'm sorry, I don't. That's not the way it should be. You should be the leader in your home, okay? So this message was for you. This message was for every man of God, priest and pastor in your home. If there's something going on, you're the one. You're the one that's supposed to say, honey, let's, man, let's work this out. And kids, we got we to fix this. Our greatest problem in America and our greatest problem in our churches, men are no longer leading well. And that's, that's a lot of true in Great Hills. As I've looked back on seven years of a lot of turmoil, a lot of issues, m- most of the time, it was men wouldn't stand up, even in their homes. Secondly, some of you own your own businesses, and, and you lead, God bless you, Daryl, you lead, and you lead well. This message is for you. I want to encourage you, I want to implore you, Understand what the challenges are. Pray before you do anything hasty. But when God releases you, confront it. And then fourth and finally, just watch God do what only God can do. I hope this helps you. I tell you, it certainly has helped. It's helped me. The next question I want to ask is, are you even in the game? Are you even, are you even with God and his people? And by that I mean, has there ever been a time in your life where you said, I am, I'm going all in, all my chips, all my Vegas chips, baby. I'm going in, all in for Jesus Christ. I want to become a child of God. I want to become a follower of King Jesus. I want to repent of my sins. I want to leave that life. That life stinketh, oh God, it stinks. And I don't want that life anymore. I want this life. Have you ever done that? If not, do that. Do that now. Do that now. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm all in. I'm, in. I'm with you, Jesus, and I want you to save my stinking soul. Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I am giving you my life. You say, well, that is the most bold I've ever heard you give an evangelistic invitation. Well, you are welcome because somebody needed to hear it. Somebody needed just a swift kick in the rear and say, I need to give my life to Christ today. So I'm, I want you to do that. I'm running out of steps. So let me, let me go down to this one. Maybe you're here today and you would say, mm, 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. Okay, okay, say it. The, kid, the students, say it, say it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to say y'all have a great lunch, and we'll see y'all next week. I'm just kidding. Here it comes. Here it is. <laughs> you do need to hear it. It's coming. If this is your church, stay at your church. So... Okay, you can quit folding your arms. Just, it's all good. Just, just listen to me. We're about to plant a church, and we're going to lose a lot of people. You say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. We need people, Brother Day. No, we need God. We need God more than anything. So if this is your church, but I don't like you, you're the problem. Do what Pastor Chester said. Tell God about me and let God deal with me me okay but those of you going I think you're cool I think you're I think you're okay okay listen to this listen to this then if this is your church just 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 stay in your church and can I say this and when we have church come to your church but I like it a lot better on Facebook and on the internet yeah but when guests come and we're three-fourths empty that don't help us you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. So if you love your church, stay in your church. Love your church. Support your church. God has put it on my heart so much. I know I need to plant this church, and I know... And I know many of you are going to go, and, I, and I'm good with that. I'm just, I'm good with it. But I'm like, God, you're going to have to replace them. Or, God, I'm going to be very, very concerned. So if you love your church, just, just hang out here and stay here. Because I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm like... I'm like concrete, Ashley. Unless God just tells us something that I'm totally not, not catching on my radar. Because I believe that God is in this place and God is going to do phenomenal things. He's, he's not right now because we're fussing. Did y'all hear that? He's not. But he wants to. And so when we, man, we gather around one another and we pray for one another, encourage one another... I believe we're going to plant this church, and I think that church is going to fill up, and this church will fill up. That's what I'm praying will happen. So that's what I'm praying will happen. I don't know what this is, but I've been looking at it for 45 minutes. There. I'm happy now. So, God, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for... Nehemiah, and thank you for his leadership. 
Lord, thank you that you that wrote that book, this book, the Bible. God, you're writing a story for us today. And I'm praying, God, I'm praying with all that I have within me, Jesus, that this church would be a radiant church, a light for the gospel. Lord, that preaches the word of God unashamedly, that makes disciples that go even into the nations of this world. So, Lord, I'm just asking you, if, if, if it be your will, oh God, to just save. God, save. I know it's, your, it's not your will that any would perish. So I just pray that you would save those, God, that are lost. And I also pray, God, that you would, you would bring those in that need to be here. And that, God, you would keep those here that need to be here. And, Lord, I just pray that... Um, I pray, God, that the next few days and months and years, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, for miracle upon miracle. Lord, I'm asking you to help us with our $350,000 deficit. Lord, I'm asking you to help us, Lord, squash this, 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 this fussing, God, and just gossiping, God. I'm asking you to save people and trust people to us so that we can disciple them and see them mature and go and make more disciples. Lord, I ask you now this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing for a couple moments. The invitation will be open to you and to your family. And God's leading you to our church. Like I saw this morning, there was a room packed with new members joining Great Hills. And I'm very grateful for that. And I praise God for that. You say, well, I want to do that. Well, this would be the first step. You just come and let us talk to you. Let us help you become a follower of Christ to become a member of our church. So Terry and Jenna, guys and gals, why don't y'all lead us? We'll have our invitation.